to Strange as Fiction, where pop culture and history collide. Today we have special guest Dr. Anthony Bean on. Dr. Bean is a licensed depth psychologist, author of the book Psychology of Zelda, and is often a guest speaker at conferences and quoted by outlets like CNN. Dr. Anthony, did I, did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, you did. It was uh, it was perfect, short and sweet. It's like, yeah. you know, if when when I'm doing this thing for... Uh, What's it? Uh, the the charity streaming event uh, for Child's Play in on September, uh, I think it's twenty second. It is. They're gonna have a much longer one. <laughs> <laughs> you could just kind of tell us a little bit about what you do and maybe your journey into psychology. Yeah, sure. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I I've been trained in California and I've done. An, basically trainings across the world at this point on on how to utilize video games and other types of geek culture in in a lot of therapeutic contexts. So we we basically teach on uh, the the archetypal essence that we find within video game avatars as we play for it, why are we gravitate towards it? What makes us want to go in this way? Why do we like one game over another, another genre over another? All these are, are very important aspects of, of why we want to play video games and why it's important that we, uh, we we pay attention to that rather than just coming from what we call just an addictive uh, standpoint. Uh, the other stuff of kind of what we do is we, we run a company uh, called Geek Therapeutics, and it is nationally accredited for, for therapists in a whole bunch of other stuff. And we teach across the world. We have about 400 therapists that are in it to learn about how we can integrate geek culture into a therapeutic practice. And and so my journey comes out of this is I've been a geek and a nerd. Uh, I've LARPed, I've done Dungeons and Dragons, Mm -hmm. I've played video games, everything since I was uh, three. And you know, my, my parents who are in their late fifties now, as this this next part's probably going to resonate with a lot, unfortunately, and I'm saying unfortunately with a lot of people, um, is that the, their parents don't really understand uh, why we gravitate towards it, what makes us so so important uh, for us to have this this part of these these different types of cultures in our in our lives. And uh, my parents still to this day are like, I don't know how you've made a career out of this. And I'm like, it's, you just push through. Like there's there's nothing that can stop you <laughs> per se, but yourself. That's that's really what, what comes, the, the biggest hurdle you'll ever face in my opinion um, in life is, is yourself. And if you are willing to go to bat for it, there's there's not an issue with that. And the, you'll, you'll make it, find a way to make it work. Um, my favorite thing that I talk to clients about is resilience is not given, it is earned. And in order to do that, you have to undergo transformation. Um, and just like we do in video games um, or D&D characters or any other types of uh, protagonists found in comics, you have to undergo those things. So all through life, I've, I've been a geek and, and everything like that. And I've really focused in on how has this made me a better person and yeah. how I take these different types of ideas uh, that are found throughout all of geekdom and really understand um, the world around us. Um, I, I treat, honestly, in, in some capacities, uh, life like a video game. It's like, all right, where am I leveling up today? What do I have to do in order to get it? What am I missing? Am I missing my hook shot? In this case, do I have to go find it? So it really kind of comes down to the the idea of we have to be able to place our, our current daily functions in, in the narrative of, of a different journey in order for it to make sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's awesome. And you kind of touch on your parents, you know, maybe not 
being able to understand like how you made a career out of this. Do you think this type of career would have been possible 10, 20 years ago? And if not, what do you think has kind of opened the door for this? You know, I do think that it would have been possible back then at, to the extreme that we have now. No, to, to give like some some ideas. Like, you know, 20, I mean, what is it? The PS2 is like 20, 30 years old right <laughs> That's now. That's crazy. Um, I just saw a post that, on yeah. that <laughs> right That's now, which kind of, <laughs> kind of dates a lot of us, in my opinion, yeah. um, and, and stuff, because I still have, I used to have a PS1. And so, yeah, um, but, but basically, th- there were a lot of options back then. Are there as many options as they are as now as back then it that's kind of like a muddled question in, in my opinion because back in 20 30 years ago all the game industry was just starting um, up there there was not any idea of how it was going to go there's some newspaper articles of, of people calling video games a fad and it's going to burn out and, and no one's going to do this in 10 years and i mean now it's one of the biggest industries yeah. in the world and and so i would say that back then could someone have done this I would probably venture a guess, yes, to the extent that we can do it now, no. To the extent we'll be able to do it in 20, 30 years, absolutely not. Because, I mean, we'll have VRs in, in every everyone's um, homes at that point. No, totally. And the actual mix of psychology and video gaming or these kind of other uh, nerd, nerd culture aspects, was that something you kind of pioneered or was that like already existing before you know you came into the field like how did that whole idea come together so to make I, those two things you know this is this is a, a common question and i would say uh, i've probably been one of the if not one one of the the main pioneers like there, there's other ones that are out there such as Meg, dr megan connell dr mm-hmm. ryan kelly um they they've been out there um as well um, and they're part of my my board and, and they work with me a lot. We, I would say, cumulatively, we've been doing this between all three of us. Probably, if you put all of our years together, uh, we've probably been doing this for like 60 years in total. So it's about, you know, like 20, 20 years or so um, in some capacity each. Um, and and that's, that's really where I think um, it started is back in the early 2000s. Um, my earliest memory of, of kind of like bringing this up outside of my ind- own individual stuff was I ran a dance dance revolution club in college and I, I got the college to fund it all, which was great. And we, we kind of created an entire community, a community of holistic thinkers of being able to get there. Uh, we started off with 12 people. And by the time I graduated, we had over 200 And just this club where all we're doing is just playing dance dance revolution tw- two nights a week. That's, that's it. Um, we, we pioneered uh, it into, you know, I pioneered and commandeered different uh, classrooms across the campus. And we would just have these these massive options to, to play on five different classrooms. What do you want to play? We're playing DDR1 over here. We're playing DDR2 over here. We're doing extreme here. That's I mean, awesome. it's just... It's just crazy to, to see, to think of it uh, in that that capacity and where, where it's going to be going from, from here. Part of the main reason I brought you on because I got an ad for the book on Audible, you know, Psychology of Zelda. And I was listening to this that book this last week. And um, it was a great, great read, by the way. But before we dive into the book, I want to touch on one more thing about, about your career. Um, I was looking at your website and I saw that it said, you are ordained to provide <laughs> video game-based marriages. You know, that was a, that's a new term I've never heard of, video game-based marriage. What exactly is that? Is that when people from different parts of the country might meet in a game and get married there? Or how, how does that work? 
so so that that has not that one has not happened that can happen oh, okay and that is a possibility <laughs> um but it's it's something where i've actually married two of my uh closest fr- a couple friends and uh what we we tend to do is we we offer uh a, kind of like a a, a package or much i'll 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 marry you for, for inexpensive, but I'm going to make a video game theme based on what video game <laughs> you specifically want. Um, and we write up the, the whole uh, introduction, the whole talking points uh, based upon it. We get your guys' vows ind- individually, and then we bring them all together and we make this really, really holistic. Um, some of them have been Halo. Um, some of them have been World of Warcraft. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really quite fun to, to kind of do that type of thing. Um, and uh, it's all legally um, applicable, which is super fun. That's so rad. <laughs> I, if you haven't, if you, maybe you already have, but if you haven't shared that on any of your like socials, you got to share that out. I think that will that'll go viral for sure. So. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty fun. Um, it, it you know it takes takes a little bit for us to to get everyone's questions, everyone's preparedness, and things mm-hmm. like that. But man, it is the the day of the wedding. It is it is wild. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Why did you decide to compile this book, you know, The Psychology of Zelda? So The Psychology of Zelda was my second book. My my first one is uh, working with video game games and gamers, a clinician's guide to, you know, just working with video gamers. The Zelda one, so, so the first one right there is very what we call clinician, clinical heavy, uh, very technical writing um, mm-hmm. and everything like that. Uh, the... Zelda one, I wanted to do more for people who don't want to read like dry, dry writing. Yeah. And so that one is, is Legend of Zelda. It's always been my favorite. I've played all of them. I've even done some of the random bosses uh, where you definitely have to think throughout and destroy them <laughs> um, in, in different ways. Um, I have uh, GameCube and I have the Master Quest um, disc for it um, on at home. And I think that there's just uh, a lot of uniqueness to that game and it gravitated towards me to, to be my own personal hero. Um, and so that that's really where that book came out of play. Um, and there's so much great mythology uh, and, and ideas within uh, video games that we as people resonate with. And the one thing I absolutely love uh, about it is you can be talking to two different video gamers across nations, different uh, upbringings, different uh, areas and all together, but they have the very same experiences across playing this video game. Mm-hmm. And to me, that says something very important about the the game setting itself, that if we are all having the same experiences, then that that game itself is is the the culprit for it, which is in, in my case a good culprit, and yeah. that that's where uh, Legend of Zelda always kind of had a, a very important part of of, of me uh, in it in in it in me growing up. So we we created this book on that that idea of the personal journey. How do we get there? Different archetypes that we find within it. Why these archetypes are important, and and how do we engage ourselves a little bit more based upon these different archetypes that we we play as and you know legend of zelda you can technically play as three different ones you can do a ranged combat for most of it you can do barbarian warrior uh with the sword or you can even do a ranged uh magic one if you are willing to really go hardcore um in in the game in a lot of different ways so to to me it speaks to the idea that the game itself is its own personal journey. It's a heroic journey that, that we undertake with Link as we go through the, the motions. 
Definitely. Yeah, the book touches a lot on like Carl Jung's archetypes and other deep symbolisms. And I was kind of curious, you know, how intentional do you think that was on Shigeru Miyamoto's part? Or does it and does it even matter like if it was intentional, you know, in the creator's uh, part? So if, if we're looking at like the narratives of East culture versus West culture um, in video games, um, Japanese culture beats us every time. There, There's no doubt about it. It's just amazing what they what they can do. I think that they intentionally put a lot of spiritual stuff inside of their games into the narrative. Is it as intentional with that you're going to be able to pick up on it right away? No, but is it intentional enough that if you're willing to really dive into it in a, a fun, fun manner and uh, a holistic style, you will find it. Um, and that that's where I think Legend of Zelda comes in because they created a timeline of Dark World versus Light World where Link fails, Link saves the world. I, to me, it speaks to the idea of there's there's mirror universes and there's there's a whole bunch of different types of concepts. And I think even with our new, new uh, Breath of the Wild that's going to be coming out, we're going to see a lot of that come into play again. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I personally, I don't think, yeah, I have to imagine like 99% of gamers that are playing are probably not, like consciously identifying these archetypes in their head and being mm -hmm. able to like label them. Does that enhance the experience? Does that really matter? Or is it more of just kind of a subconscious experiencing of these different archetypes? So I, I will tell you because I, I, <laughs> I do this. Um, it's a lot more fun if you're not aware of it uh, because <laughs> yeah. it breaks your immersion. Your flow. Insider baseball view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you from personal experience, just because for, for me, it's always the, the idea of, what do you need to do in order to to get here? How what archetype am I playing that I need to um, to kind of get this kind of uh, flowing in, in a different way? And if I if I start going that way, I play in the yeah. game and now, but I've, I've stopped my playing and now I'm, I'm mentally masticating in a way, and that just breaks it all. Um, if you work with a, a certified geek therapist, which are the things the pe types of people that we train, they're going to do this work for you. Um, they're going to do it with you and it, they're going to draw out those those different types of characteristics. So to to me, it's uh, work with a professional who knows what they're doing yeah. and the old, you'll get it taken care of that way. Um, the book talks a lot about identity and players being able to like self-identify the link in his journey. Um, do you think that sandbox games like kind of like The Sims or Animal Crossing uh, would be more powerful in that sense? Or is, it, is there something to be said about kind of having a narrative hand in the game and kind of guiding the player through through these different challenges. You know, everyone's going to gravitate towards a different game um, and a different genre for, for kind of what they want. So some people like sandbox games so they can challenge themselves in a different way and try to break the game and, and, you know, go outside of the normal area. Some people like the the narratively uh, driven storyline in order to make them feel immersed in and feel like they're part of the world. Um, I'll, I'll give an example on this one is like, you know, Elden Ring. It's a mix of both, depending on how far, how great, far. Great you game, win. by the way. So. It's a great game. <laughs> I, I just beat the first one and I went frenzied flame the first round because I beat all the bosses yes. um, first round. And so I'm um, in second one. And, and let me just tell you, New Game Plus, you just blow through the bosses. <laughs> um, it's it's crazy. Real quick on that one, like something kind of strange about Elden Ring is, you know, I usually play with, I played with kind of the same group of friends and we pretty much play pretty bro games like call of duty and those kind of you know shooters and stuff and this for some reason that's that was able to break the kind of cultural barrier and molding like my friends who would probably never play that type of game were were all like syncing up on night on discord and, like can we play elden ring can we play elden ring instead of these other type of games and it was 
really interesting to see it kind of break through into groups that it wouldn't normally like role-playing games wouldn't normally touch. Oh, absolutely. And and that's, I think that's one of the, what you just touched upon is, is one of the, the aspects why the game is so popular because you can go full narrative driven. If you want, you can complete every quest of what there's like 293 bosses and mini bosses throughout the entire thing. It's crazy and chaotic. Um, or you can just speed run like I am in my, my new game plus <laughs> just to get that second one. And then third one, I'm going to go back in and do probably, um, uh, Ranny's quest line again, uh, because they, they just let you keep everything. And so <laughs> I, I, my, my first run, I've just, so we're all clear. I've never played a from software game before. Yeah. And so this is my first one. And I unintentionally chose the hardest class to, to go with for starting one of these games. Um, and I built it into a, a blood uh, build, and uh, it, it works like a charm. <laughs> the second what class round. is that, by the way? What is the, what is the hardest class? Um, I chose the, uh, the thief, I think is what okay. it is. The, the thief right. assassin. I started off with a dagger, and I, I spent like four hours trying to beat up the guy for the Reduvia dagger. <laughs> um, it, was, it was chaos um, in, in a lot of great ways, but... Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the book mentions, you know, the silence of the protagonist being important with Link, you know, not having any dialogue so that we can kind of project our own voice onto the character. What do you think it is about Link that's so relatable? Nintendo has plenty of silent protagonists like Mario and Kirby who are even more androgynous. And yet you rarely see people like rocking stickers of them or getting tattoos of them on their arm. But like it, any day you walk through a gym or, you know, mall or whatever, you're going to see a Triforce tattoo. You're going to see stickers on a car. Why is Link seemingly more identifiable or people can identify with themselves with Link more than these other characters? Well, I mean, Kirby's cute and, you know, eats a lot of stuff. So, I mean, like we can, we can all relate to that back capacity. Yeah, I, did, I identify with that for sure. <laughs> I, I relate to it very much. Um, and... Uh, but but Link itself is is an androgynous uh, hero where you you can project a lot easier onto it because uh, thinner frame build you know not this big muscular thing that we see in like uh, cartoons and other stuff other video games these ones it's it's someone who who comes on up it's it's a ten year old who eventually becomes an adult but when you go and and become an adult you're you're not buffing yourself out one way or another or becoming more feminine or more masculine it, it still allows you to project upon the character in a way that really imparts a a different sense of of self in my opinion that even no matter what gender you i identify with or non-gender non-binary you still have a a character that you can project upon in in a way that makes you feel safe and one of the reasons I think that a lot of people have the ability to to really enjoy and and fanatically fantasize about what does it mean to be Link. What do you think about the new Mario movie? They're you know they're giving a voice to pretty much voiceless character. I know they had the movie in like the early '90s or late '80s, whatever it was. It's but terribly great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I am interested to see what they're going to do. Um, I'm a little concerned that they cast Chris Pratt. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> I'm I'm cautiously optimistic yeah yeah the sonic movie i think everyone had i'm really excited people most people had low expectations of it and it seemed to do pretty decent actually so maybe we run into another one of those there there are so many great easter eggs in in that one where like green hill zones and then you're now in the next one the city and so like mushroom kingdom i mean like there's 
there's so many great callbacks to the game that they, I think they did a really good job with with it, and it was great to see them all. My kids love it. Um, yeah, it, it's just a fun fun movie for them. My son too. Speaking of uh, speaking of movies, so one thing that you know, I, I listen to a lot of like gaming podcasts, and I'll hear people write in about how like a game like really resonated with them emotionally, even made some gamers cry. Personally, I have to say, even though I love games, I have never had that experience with any game. And I played a lot of different types of games. But with movies, I do have movies that I'm really emotionally attached to or, you know, I felt some kind of powerful, uh, you know, emotion during a scene. Am I just cold hearted or, or why do you think that is? <laughs> I, no, I would say that like it, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when when uh, we lost to his, his daddy and, he, and you know, his... Mm-hmm. his saying is basically saying you know he may have been your father but he wasn't your daddy did that make you tear up a little bit and you're like oh man that that kind of hits yes yeah that that that's the thing because that that's a, a very true thing and in, in, in my opinion it gets even more intense those those feelings when you become a, a parent yourself because you get to see these kids grow you get to see them and you're like wow how how did we not see this how did we not kind of connect to this type of stuff and you know we, with us and we're getting into like intergenerational uh uh, you know, family systems. Uh, but we're, we're always trying to do better than what we, we got in a different way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, one of the specific Zelda games, I think that resonated more than any other was Breath of the Wild recently. Why, why do you think that seemed to have a way more, I mean, all of them have had, you know, pretty much positive reviews, uh, but that one seemed to just take off. Like I couldn't find an outlet that was willing to say anything negative about it. Uh, open world experience you could go anywhere you could do anything you didn't necessarily have to uh finish each aspect of the game you get to choose your own choice um i feel like the the system itself allowed you to have a lot more freedom and makes it makes it so like you are are much more um engaged in in your character's appearance abilities and a journey overall what's your favorite game your favorite zelda game that would have to be that Ocarina one? of Time. Oh, Ocarina of Time? Okay, awesome. Yeah. Mine's a Link Between Worlds, so. <laughs> that one's good, too. Yeah, I've uh, I've played almost, I have played all of them. I have played that one, so. When it comes to treating patients, how important do you think in, the interactivity of the medium is, like video games, like actually being able to control and play versus watching a movie, reading a book, something kind of more passive? You know, it's uh, books have their own own narrative journey um, as well. So I would say that the the games themselves uh, engages a lot easier and offer up a lot more what we call fodder for for conversations um, here and there. But I would also say that there's there's a, a contextual need for for us to kind of be able to have those conversations, whether it's based upon fan fiction, aka books and things like that, versus uh, whether it's a, a video game overall and and how how that impacts us. So clinically speaking, I think that you can do whatever you want. I think a book's going to allow the imagination to, to run wild a little bit more and, you know, create an imaginal world. Um, but the, the video game itself creates that visual component that sometimes we, we don't have um, it, when we read a book. So I think that they both have their own places. Totally. In terms of data, clinical studies, have there been a lot done in this crossover space of like gaming and psychology there's there's been some that have done it a lot of our research is more focused on um i would say uh the addictive component which i think is misleading because i think there's there's a lot more to be said about video games and how how they can impact us in in really great ways 
So I think that there there's a lot of, of opportunities that are being missed in research. Uh, but there's there's a lot of stuff that is is coming out that I have seen. Yeah, no, I mean, sure, there's people that get addicted. But I think, you know, culturally, you know, a couple decades ago, there was a lot of that negative energy around, you know, being addicted and violence and these kind of things. And then, you know, now that's dissipated. But every once in a while, you'll see an article or a congressman or something, you know, something just rears its head in the news. And you're like, wait, I thought we were, I thought we were over this. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they like to try to politicize as much as they can yeah. be in the, the front page. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, one thing I've been kind of noticing in the industry, it seems like games have been moving away from these single player experiences. Elden Ring. I mean, yeah, there is online, but it's kind of a, an aberration to, to like where I see things going. What, what kind of impact do you think they'll have on gamers like as we move more towards these Fortnites uh, and kind of evergreen cash cow games, you know, that are they're all always online? I, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Um, a community collaboration and comp- competition. That, those are the three things that you're looking at with with those types of, of games. And they have the ability to to play and be powerful within those games and then play with each other and compete in a virtual space. I think that's only going to increase um, in a lot of different ways. There's, there's talks of bringing uh, virtual reality into the Olympics, which would be a ma- major step in lots of different ways. But I think that there's also um, opportunities for other games to to go deeper. Like we had an explosion of different genres and subgenres of, of video games from sandbox to RPGs to ad- action to action adventure. I mean, there's there's so much that's out there, and even RTSs, real time strategies, are still very popular uh, today. So I I would say that we're probably going to see now that we have the explosion, we're we're actually starting to see a little bit of like a funneling system of, of kind of happening of like what's worked, what hasn't. Will there always be indie games? Absolutely. Will um, Ubisoft probably try to buy up everything? Most likely. <laughs> Will Activision yeah. continue to suck? Likely. Um, the, 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 those are the things that are going to kind of, um, come out of this, but they're going to find what games are popular with systems, with styles, and then they're going to narrow those down. And then that's, that's going to like what we're going to have. But I think the indie games, the indie industry is going to be very important to continue to push us forward. So we don't just get the same game with a different skin. Yeah. The, this kind of explosion of indie games over the last 10 years or so has been awesome to see, like, uh, just gives you know, these bigger studios are going to go for the the formulas that are getting the most money, but it's so cool to see these kind of like this pocket of games that can still exist where it's just maybe it's smaller experiences, but ones that a bigger studio would never dare put their money behind. I love it. So. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I want to I want to end with a rapid fire question session, just five questions that I'll throw okay. at you really quickly and just gave you your first you know, thought, but, uh, before we, we end with that, I want to know like, where, where can people find you? Um, and how can they connect to you? What are maybe some like projects you'd like people to check out? Um, so they, they definitely want to see what our, our most in, and everything that we're doing is actually check out geektherapeutics.com. Um, you'll see all of our courses, all of our trainings, um, our call for papers. If you're a writer, we have psychology of Elden ring coming out and psychology of my hair academia. Um, so we have a bunch of different things that are are really coming into fruition in a lot of different ways. Um, that's the easiest way to kind of like find us. And that's that's really where all of our stuff is going. We have major announcements coming out around October, November. 
uh, that we've been working on for years and they're finally coming to fruition. But that that's the biggest thing. They can also find us on Twitter, any social media, Geek Therapeutics, um, or me personally, I'm just uh, usually at Video Game Doc and uh, in a lot of different areas. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So let's get into rapid fire. Here we go. Favorite non-Zelda game? Ooh, that immediately went to uh, Mario Strikers. Mario Strikers, awesome. <laughs> Don't ask me why. <laughs> no, I like that. I like where your head's going. This is very uh, Freudian, I guess we'd say. So uh, dream job if you had to do something else. Uh, that would probably, oh, God, I don't know because I love what I do. <laughs> Shit. Um, uh, maybe uh, someone who announces video games. There you uh, go. Like an announcer. <laughs> I like that. That's great. <laughs> that's a hard one because I'm doing everything I want. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's, that's the right answer. Um, yeah. Last book you read. Oh, that would be uh, uh, not sort of Shannara series. It's uh, the 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 witch series, uh, the Blood Witch, Blood Fire Witch uh, from uh, Shannara. Awesome! Series. I don't know that one. I'll have to check that one out. So. Yeah, it's like the Voyal Voyage of like Gerald uh, Shannara uh, or something like that. It's a three book series. I'm on uh, about to start the last one. There's so many good ones, and they yeah. they take so long. <laughs> yeah, they do. They yeah. do. Um, will a Nintendo Switch Pro be announced by the end of this year or the next iteration of the Nintendo Switch? I'd probably go now. No? Okay. <laughs> I agree, unfortunately. Um, and then last question, Majora's Mask or Link Between Worlds? Oh, Majora's Mask. It Majora's has so much symbolism in it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, Dr. Me, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we look forward to following your projects going forward. So. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, please leave a review. And if you'd like to suggest future topics or just follow along for the journey, you can find me at Strangest Fiction on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Until next time.